And hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your dependably weekly podcast looking at education politics and education policy. I'm Kevin Richard. And I am acting podcast co-host Clark Corbin. Okay, well, glad, glad to have you here. Maybe it'll be a permanent gig for all we know. <laughs> It was another election week in Idaho, and it was an election week uh, pertaining to education. We're going to start there with a recap. What I thought was the big takeaway, what I thought was the most interesting result, was the vote in Bonneville County on the community college. The recap, this needed a two-thirds supermajority to pass because what voters were being asked to do was to create a taxing district for a new community college, which will collect property taxes in, in perpetuity to, to help fund this community college. Two-thirds threshold, never easy to get this passed with a 71% majority. I was surprised. I, I was absolutely surprised. Kevin, this has been a big deal. This is something we kind of watched the seeds uh, of this ballot initiative be planted during the most recent legislative session. Uh, the legislature supported it, uh, set aside, I believe, $5 million mm -hmm. right. in seed money. But With we've the condition that the voters right. approved the community college. They only get the money if they did what they did on Tuesday. And that's a high bar, as we've seen, as we've talked about on this podcast for a couple of years now. Anytime you want to get two-thirds of people to agree on anything, going to lunch, let alone uh, creating a new taxing district, that's a high bar. If I was predicting this, I would have guessed that it would have exceeded maybe a 50% majority, but fallen short of the two-thirds. We both have lived in Idaho right. Falls It's a conservative uh, over the community. Years. And um, there's some split within the Republican Party in Idaho Falls, and we saw that a little bit uh, this time around, but... Yeah, it's it's tough to get two thirds majority in any community, especially you know a pretty conservative, fiscally conservative community like this one. They got it. They got it somewhat comfortably. They had the support of their mayor, uh, Rebecca Casper. They had some influential Eastern Idaho lawmakers. Yes. Uh, I believe Wendy Horman, Wendy Horman. Uh, Dean Mortimer. Yeah, if you're thinking education politics in Idaho, let alone Bonneville County, those are two. Uh, pretty big names. And you had Governor Otter, who has supported the idea of a community college in the past. He weighed in in the 11th hour, wrote a guest opinion that went statewide, urging voters to, to pass the community college measure. What I found interesting, and it'll be fascinating to kind of watch this thing unfold, and our Eastern Idaho reporter will keep a close eye on it. Governor Otter, in talking about this community college and in trying to make the case for this new community college, invoked the College of Western Idaho story. And we've seen this here in the Treasure Valley, just this meteoric growth of CWI uh, to where it's got more than 20,000 students a decade in. I don't think you're going to see 20,000 students at a community college in Idaho Falls. I don't think that's what the governor is predicting. But he's saying Idaho Falls, Bonneville County, has a chance to replicate that sort of success, that sort of growth. Um, it'll be really interesting to see what sort of pent-up demand there is for community college uh, offerings in Idaho Falls. And we could see as early as August, and they're hoping to roll out some programs uh, this fall. Right. Our uh, Eastern Idaho reporter who you alluded to, Devin Bodkin, he was on Extra Credit last week. He has a story. Uh, it's on our homepage right now about talking about the next steps and, and where we go from transforming what is now Eastern Idaho Technical College uh, into the uh, College of Eastern Idaho. They're looking at late August, uh, 1st of September, perhaps, for the uh, official uh, start date. But Devin has kind of a rundown of what's happening, what still needs to happen. Uh, I also talked to some of the other players. There are already a couple of 
institutions of higher learning in eastern Idaho, certainly iTech as we know. Up the road in Rexburg, there's a private college, uh, Brigham Young University, Idaho. Down the road, down south, um, in Pocatello is Idaho State University, which has voiced support uh, for the community college. Uh, You also have the Idaho National Laboratory in its infrastructure uh, throughout uh, Bonneville County and eastern Idaho. Uh, and, and they're interested in, in playing a role, and they have a, a, a growing workforce and uh, an educated uh, workforce. So if you want to find out right. a little bit more, uh, check out Devin's story. But what were you going to say, Well, and, and we'll keep an eye on this, uh, the new community college, but I think we'll also keep an eye on sort of this, this market, this Eastern Idaho yeah. higher education market, as you alluded to. BYU-Idaho has been growing very rapidly, mm-hmm. and a lot of that has to do with, uh, you know, Eastern Idaho's heavily Mormon uh, population, so there's uh, an added draw to BYU-Idaho. But uh, there's uh, some competition in that market between BYU-Idaho and, and Idaho State University. Now you throw this community college into the mix. It's going to be interesting to watch it unfold. Uh, Devin Bodkin will be in the heart of that, and we'll keep an eye on it from here in Boise. And if you're looking, this could be a little bit down the road, but if you're looking for more of a K-12 uh, connection potentially uh, a little bit down the road. This could increase the number of dual credit offerings available to yeah. high school mm-hmm. students uh, by having that increased higher ed infrastructure right there. Uh, check out this week's stories over at Idaho Ed News and, and look for updates throughout the summer. But Kevin, that wasn't the only thing on Idahoans' right. ballots. Mm-hmm. This week, I want you to talk about some of the important uh, bonds, levies, and school board races that you took a look at throughout the state. Yeah, we've got the full rundown at idahoednews.org, but the, the highlights uh, Valley View School District, a growing district here in Canyon County, voters approved two items. A supplemental levy passed pretty easily, but a plant facilities levy, and this is something that failed in March, fell short of the two thirds threshold that they needed. It passed, well, apparently, according to the results that we saw Tuesday night, it barely cleared that two-thirds threshold. And, you know, journalists, we talk about, hey, your vote counts, get out and vote, you know, do your civic duty. And I think uh, readers and listeners are like, yeah, Dad, whatever, uh, and I'll eat my vegetables too, I promise. But my goodness, Kevin, you yeah, looked I, at the I numbers. I crunched the numbers. Five votes. It was five votes uh, that push this over the threshold to passage. And that's according to the numbers that were, that were posted. And I, I think it's close enough now that it probably triggers an automatic recount. Wow. I mean, either way, I mean, that tells you that, uh, you know, your vote really does count in a case like that. Other elections that I found interesting around the state, uh, Soda Springs in eastern Idaho passed a bond issue that uh, will replace a uh, gymnasium at a middle school, and this is like an 83-year-old gymnasium. So uh, that passed. They tried in November a year ago and failed, so this time it did pass. Sugar Salem, and we had Devin Bodkin in last week, and he talked a a bit about the funding situations and the challenges in that eastern Idaho district, passed a supplemental levy, did not pass a bond issue to um, work on some building projects. That was the only school election, the only ballot measure that failed on Tuesday night. So uh, by and large, uh, voters came out, they supported uh, levies and bond issues to the tune of $42.8 million around the state. We have the full roundup at uh, news.org. Yeah, that's tucked in there with the coverage of the uh, community college passing in Bonneville County. If you pull that article up, uh, you can scroll down through it and see more results throughout the state, breakdowns, uh, things that might be a little closer to uh, your home school district or your home county. A lot of good stuff to look at 
Uh, I appreciate that update, Kevin. So let's shift away from the elections and talk a little bit about reading. Uh, some news out of the State Department of Education about Idaho's reading test. Uh, get us up to speed. Yeah, uh, beginning next year during the upcoming school year, which is the 2017-2018 school year, the state is going to kind of, uh, they call it a pilot test, but it's sort of a dry run for trying out a brand new uh, reading test that will be administered uh, to students in kindergarten through the third grade. Uh, the state just this week released the list of schools that will be participating in this pilot program. And uh, I got my hands on the list. There are 57 uh, elementary schools from a total of 37 Idaho school districts or charters that will be um, participating in this pilot program. There's some large districts uh, that have schools on the list, including uh, the West, West Ada, Ada School Ada, District, Nampa. the Nampa School District. Also some smaller rural school districts, uh, cul-de-sac, St. Mary's, uh, have some schools that are going to be participating in this pilot program. But then there was so much interest that it appears that participation on the pilot program was capped. And so we know of a couple school districts, uh, Twin Falls School District being one, Bonneville County mm -hmm. School District right. in Eastern Idaho being another, where they actually had schools apply to participate in this pilot, but were told uh, that... Uh, the space was capped. And so what we're going to do is spend next year trying out this test, administering it to students, having teachers get used to it, certainly gathering feedback uh, and, and gathering information about the test uh, will be part of the state's agenda this upcoming year. And so why does this matter? Well, it matters for a couple of reasons, but uh, for the last couple of years, we've been talking about the legislature's concern with the literacy rates and the reading skills of some of our youngest, most vulnerable readers mm -hmm. uh, between the ages of kindergarten and third grade all throughout that the state. 36,000 number of that, you know, the number of at-risk readers that we hear about each fall. I mean, that's based on the old reading mm -hmm. assessment, the, the Idaho reading indicator that this pilot is going to replace. And we talk so much uh, about, uh, you know, learning to read uh, versus reading to learn and, and about how you need to have these uh, steps in place and you need to follow this progression uh, for students to be able to progress successfully through school. Uh, and, and so another reason why it matters, the legislature has invested in this pilot program, but by the following school year, 2018-2019, just over a year away, we're talking about all Idaho students uh, taking this new, it'll be called the IRI, the Idaho Reading Indicator, but taking this new test. And so that's why it matters. If your son or daughter is not participating during the upcoming school year, uh, they will be if they're in K through 3 in the 2018-2019 school year uh, and beyond. So it's kind of a changing landscape. Assessment testing is always a little bit of a hot-button issue anywhere you look. Certainly that's the case in Idaho. Um, and so... Uh, We'll, we'll have more reporting on this as we get a little bit closer, but wanted and to as, give people a heads up. And as this test rolls out, I mean, we're right in the middle of a multi-million dollar initiative to provide funding for schools to help at-risk readers, and that money has been distributed so far based on the IRI scores. Now it'll be distributed a couple of years down the road based on this new assessment. And as Idahoans try to figure out how is this reading initiative working out, is it really helping kids uh, bridge that gap and, and get uh, get their reading skills up to grade level. We're going to be looking at the results of this new test, maybe trying to draw some comparisons with the old test. That's always uh, a dicey proposition. But it comes at a time that uh, the state is really trying to ramp up its focus and its uh, its emphasis on reading. So you know, it, we're going to have to watch this closely. It could be interesting politically. We're obviously, during the middle of this transition process, uh, expecting a new governor following the 2018 mm -hmm. election. 
There may or may not be a new superintendent of public instruction after the 2018 election. So we're certainly going to see some turnover in the legislature. So politically, uh, this could get interesting as well, just based on the timing. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, but that new pilot program is on tap when schools resume in the fall. And we'll have some more articles about some of the training, some of the ways school districts are getting geared up. We'll talk about the rollout. We'll also dig a little bit deeper into the costs uh, for this vendor, for the company that's putting on the test. That's iStation or Imagination Station. So uh, we'll, we'll continue to track this, won't we, Kevin, as we roll out uh, the new test? Right. And, and as soon as next week, I'm hoping to uh, do some interviews with uh, reading teachers around the state, uh, some that are going to participate in the pilot, some that are going to be observing the pilot, and, and get a sense of what they hope to see. So uh, look for that next week, but look this week uh, to your story uh, to get a rundown of you know, what happens with the test. Sure. I want to head over to Canyon County in western Idaho mm -hmm. and talk about kind of an interesting school boundary discussion uh, between the Nampa and Valley View school districts, which are both located within Canyon County. Uh, but there was a meeting earlier this week. But tell me what's going on and what the idea is and where it's coming from. Well, it, yeah, it's kind of an interesting local issue, and it's an interesting political process that I didn't know anything about before I embarked on this story. So this uh, section of the Nampa School District is kind of tucked into the northern fringe of the district's boundaries, uh, several subdivisions. It has fed into the Nampa District for decades, and it sounds like the history, <laughs> it goes back to when the Valley View School District was created back in the early 60s. I, the way I've heard the, the story there was a Nampa trustee in that neighborhood, and he, uh, the trustee, you know, applied some pressure to make sure that this subdivision stayed in the Nampa district. Whatever. It is, that it, never happens. Oh, no, well, yeah, political pressure, you know. Uh, yeah, right. I'd be shocked, frankly. Yes, um, right. But uh, at any rate, here we are in 2017, and these uh, subdivisions are still in the Nampa school district. Problem is, according to some of the residents, the schools that these neighborhoods feed into are several miles away, clear across town. So you've got to basically uh, not only just bus across town, but you've got to bus across the entire town to get there. So uh, some of the parents are hoping to get uh, moved into the Valley View School District where the schools are closer. Some of them are within walking distance. Some of them are within bicycling distance. It's easier for the students, obviously. Also easier for the parents if you've got a kid that's doing an after-school activity or an extracurricular activity. It's a little bit easier for parents to perform their, their, their taxi driver role and, and right. get their kids to and from activities. Sounds simple enough, but it is a very convoluted political process. Uh, parents uh, petitioned the state to get this uh, under consideration. You had a public hearing this week. Now it goes to the State Board of Education. The hearing officer files a report with the State Board of Education. So perhaps in the State Board's August meeting, the board will take up this uh, proposal. The board will decide whether the voters in these neighborhoods get the final say and have a, a ballot measure to decide whether to stay in the Napa District or move to the Valley View District. So it's a very convoluted political process. And like I said, I'd never covered this before. So I was interested in just kind of how the process unfolds. And it really does kind of hinge on this whole you know, neighborhood proximity issue. It doesn't sound like anybody's really bashing the Nampa School District or uh, 
criticizing the the quality of the schools. It's just where they're located and that they're several miles away from the neighborhood. Uh, for the record, in case you're wondering, neither the Nampa nor the Valley View districts are taking a position on this uh, boundary transfer. They're, they're staying neutral on this issue. But obviously, it affects both of them. I mean, the, the transfer of these neighborhoods, we're talking about several hundred students, maybe about 400 students, uh, about 500 kids under the age of 18, uh, some not quite of school age. So, you know, it's a fairly significant shift uh, for Valley View, a district that's growing. That is a challenge if they take on these kids. It, you know, it's a funding issue, obviously, because that's how the state distributes uh, state dollars. So uh, there are implications for the districts as well. But right now they're... Uh, they're staying neutral, but obviously staying interested in the process. Yeah, we'll continue to follow it. This obviously affects families in a very tangible way. Some of the education issues we talk about, we get into the weeds, and it's a little hard to wrap your arms around the concept. I think it's really easy to see how an issue like neighborhood schools uh, affects families in tangible ways, Absolutely. and therefore why uh, folks feel strongly about it. So we will uh, we'll continue to follow that. And my goodness, you mentioned the August state board meeting. Uh, that's going to be a doozy. We're going to have... Uh, a busy summer, and, and so continue to follow Idaho Education News uh, throughout the summer, even though school's out. A lot of important policy decisions, a big, important State Board of Education meeting in August. Uh, so we're, we're not going anywhere. No, no. And as we look forward to that and as we get uh, wrapping up into this uh, school year, I did want to shift gears and wrap up with one story that you did, kind of a success story. Uh, the Horseshoe Bend School District had made all kinds of headlines for all the wrong reasons over the past couple of years. You spent some time in Horseshoe Bend uh, recently. Things have uh, kind of turned around a little bit. Talk about that. They very much turned around. This was a really cool story for uh, for me and for our, our multimedia journalist, Andrew Reed. Lucky enough to spend some time in the Horseshoe school, Bend School District, which is located just about 30 miles uh, north of Boise. We went out there for a day. I met the superintendent, teacher, observed a couple classrooms. But yeah, so like you alluded to, this was a district that just couldn't get away from controversy. I think they went through five superintendents in a five-year period. Mm-hmm. And uh, full disclosure, our Randy Schrader, our data analyst, was an acting superintendent out there for a while. superintendent so. uh, on an interim basis. But there. then and who wasn't a superintendent in Horseshoe Bend over the past couple of years? It's been... It's been tumultuous. They had administrators resign suddenly and unexpectedly. They had an issue with unpaid taxes with the IRS. Uh, They had a former bookkeeper who resigned and then faced felony charges, uh, pleaded guilty to one felony count of misuse of public money. Uh, And the school was settled with a two-star rating the last time Idaho did uh, school accountability program. They had a five-star rating system. Horseshoe Bend got a two. I've talked to several of the teachers there. It was depressing. Uh, The district was in the news for all the wrong reasons, but um, they were able to get a new superintendent installed in Dennis Chestnut, who had been a longtime teacher and coach, more recently a principal in the Horseshoe Bend district. He was installed two years ago. Uh, They brought in an education consultant. They brought in a new assessment test, the MAP test. They started focusing on student achievement and using data to inform achievement, Uh, and they showed quite a bit of growth Uh, on their testing and assessment to the point that Horseshoe Bend was one of just two schools uh, in the state recognized this spring by the State Department of Education nominated for a federal uh, Blue Ribbon Award, a national award, uh, which is awarded to schools that meet some very specific criteria. They have to be, I believe, in the top 15% of all schools in the state in terms of their performance on the most recent 
state assessment, but they also have to have something like 40% or more of the student body come from uh, what would be considered perhaps a disadvantaged mm-hmm. background, students in poverty who would com- uh, who would uh, qualify for a free or reduced price lunch uh, would, would make that. And so uh, the short story is it, it appears that Horseshoe Bend was able to uh, right the ship, was able to get some stability at the administrative levels in place. They focused on student learning. Uh, they used data uh, to find out specifically to kind of probe where students were struggling, mm-hmm. but then also to accelerate the students who were doing well. And uh, they had quite a bit of growth on their state tests last year, and they're nominated for this prestigious uh, Blue Ribbon, this national award. And it just, it, it, it's it affected the whole school. There's pride at all these different levels. Uh, parents are excited. Teachers are excited. I spoke to a little third grader when we had lunch out there, uh, and she talked to me about the Blue Ribbon, and she knew exactly what it was because she had participated in 4-H and shown animals, and she had won a Blue Ribbon, and she knew that that was first place, that the best got the Blue Ribbon. So kind of well, a sweet cool story. That's cool because you know, we, we, we hear about these awards, and we think, oh, that's only, you know, only the grown-ups, only the administrators care about it. But there's buy-in for the third grader. That's really neat. And, and I think they're going to have an end-of-year assembly to celebrate this. Uh, some of the teachers and the principal were honored uh, at a State Department of Education conference, a federal programs conference that we attended briefly, that about a 1,000 other teachers were there. They got piled up into the front. They got to accept an award. And so uh, they're being congratulated and recognized publicly uh, for this turnaround after having some bad news for about a four or five year stretch. And so it was really cool to see, really cool to see the buy-in, really cool to see the excitement there. So if you want to learn a little bit more about that, uh, we have a video that we've posted on Facebook. We also have a multimedia story. It's a couple stories deep, so you're going to want to scroll down uh, from the top of our homepage to find the headline on Horseshoe Bend. But kind of no, a sweet little story. It was a fun one to do. No, it's worth the search because, uh, you know, I think the media sometimes gets criticized, and, and I think you know we're as guilty of this as, as anybody. Sometimes uh, the headlines, the the bad news, the you know the challenges facing schools. I mean, that's something that uh, we do cover, and we have to cover. I mean, when when things like what happened in Horseshoe Bend happen, uh, the public has a right to know what's going on. But we also have to do a, a, a good job of closing the loop yeah. and following up and seeing well what happened in the aftermath. This is one case where the aftermath um, has uh, uh, has kind of a happy ending. So so check that story out. I think that wraps you up, wraps us up for the week and gets you caught up on what we've been up to. Um, yeah, in the interim, be sure to follow us at Idaho Ed News on Twitter and like our page on Facebook. You'll catch all of our stories on social media there. We will be back next week for another brand new edition of the Extra Credit Podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week. 